Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Sign of the Dollar. So today, once again, I have Vince on the other line with me, and we have quite an interesting topic to discuss. So on in this podcast, we wanted to talk about uh, the ideologies of libertarianism, classical liberalism, and also our thoughts on what we think the role of government in any given society should be. So I'm sure all of you who have heard my previous podcasts know that my outlook towards the role of government is is quite simple. It's the following, that the government has only one primary duty or one role that it has to fulfill, uh, and anything beyond that duty would be an infringement upon man's rights, and that is to protect man's rights. Now, of course, it's it becomes a whole other discussion, and it becomes quite complicated when you talk about what you really consider as rights and and how how you really can protect them and when it is considered a protection of man's rights and when it isn't. But either way, that is sort of my attempt at simplifying my view on the role of government. So Vince, would you like to tell us a little bit about what you think the role of a government in a society should be? Right. So I would agree 100%. I think the role of government should be to simply to protect the rights of its citizens. And I'm sure we're going to talk about what rights mean in a little bit. But yep. I don't think that government should really go that far beyond that. I mean, there there are obviously some things that the government subsidizes or, or pays for that are good. I would argue that most of them are, are, are bad. They're actually a drag on society, a drag on the economy. But yeah, generally, I think that government exists to protect us. Um, I mean, the, there's a the, the idea of the social contract that you know sprung out of the Enlightenment, which is that you know people voluntarily come together to form a society, and so. Right when you when people who have rights come together and form a society, the the role the government that they form should be simply to protect people's rights. Right? What what else is the point yeah. of a government? Right? So, yeah. So that that basically my view on um, what the government is, and I'm sure we're going to talk about rights in a second. Yeah, for sure. So of course, uh, in the interest of of protecting its citizens' rights, a lot of libertarians would say that a government doesn't have have the right or shouldn't try to legislate morality. Uh, in a sense, they shouldn't try to enforce moral principles on all of its citizens because one of the most fundamental rights is the right to your mind, the right to uh, freedom of expression, the right to uh, freedom of religion, and all of these uh, can bring about differences in, in moral values. So, so, of course, there is that notion that the government shouldn't try to legislate morality. But some people may argue that this idea of rights and this idea of certain laws that we have that are uh, intended to protect man's rights that are in fact based on some more broader or larger moral principles that society has adhered to for a long time. And, And they wouldn't be wrong when they say that. For example, any government, I don't think anybody would disagree that any government should make it illegal to kill someone, to murder someone. Of course, if you kill someone in self-defense and you have solid proof that you, you, you had to kill that person in order to protect yourself, then that's an entirely different story. But we're talking about cold-blooded murder here. And I'm sure you can agree. I can, I'm sure everyone in, in the modern world, apart from maybe some sociopaths or psychopaths, can agree that a government needs to have a rule where they forbid murder. So, of course, that is a moral principle. So, so the idea that, that laws shouldn't necessarily 
be based on moral principles is, is, is completely asinine. That's not the argument that libertarians are making. They're simply saying that certain differences in an individual's values should not be, should not be attempted to be removed or should not be forced to be taken away from them as long as they're practicing those differences without infringing upon anybody else's rights. So once again, it comes back to that idea of rights. So there is a, a moral principle that we're basing this off of, and that is that idea of rights. Of course, uh, there are a lot more complexities and intricacies to what we call rights, which we will be getting into in a second. But but that, that's the essential idea of a libertarian philosophy. It's not that we shouldn't have any laws based on moral principles. It's simply that if I'm doing something that I believe in and that I think is moral, and maybe the government at that given time doesn't think it's moral, as long as I'm not hurting anyone by doing what I'm doing, the government doesn't have any right whatsoever to tell me not to do that. So Vince, what are your thoughts on this? And a lot of people who make arguments against libertarianism would say that it is in the interest of general society to legislate morality. For example, you have some hardcore Christian authoritarians who believe that traditional values are, are good. And a lot of people would agree that they are, but they would go so far as to say that they have to be enforced and that everyone must follow them. So how would you, how would you rebut that argument that these kinds of traditionalists would make? Right. So I first want to make the distinction that there's something that I do disagree with, uh, disagree on with some of the hard, some of very hardcore libertarians. So a lot of them seem to suggest that so long as it's not infringing on other people's rights, it's moral and you can't say otherwise. Like, for example, um, let's just say like just g getting addicted to smoking. Right. A lot. There are a lot of like hardcore libertarians that will say that like just bad ideas, bad things that you do. They're, they're well. If you're not infringing on anyone else's rights, then then it's moral. Like obviously, I think that there are things that you can do without infringing on pe other people's rights that are not moral. And I think we as a society, as a as a culture, should be able to criticize those types of things. But I don't think yeah, government definitely. it's it's government's role to criticize those things. So now, um, as to the question of like what do I think about um, legislating morality? Well, obviously, you know, issues that infringe on the rights of other people um, should absolutely be illegal any free society you shouldn't be able to step on anyone else's right to live in a free society right but exactly I, one of my issues with legislating morality and this issue comes up a lot in things like you know drugs pornography you know a lot, a lot of a lot, a lot of different issues social issues at what point does it stop really because i, I think that if you're going to run a government and of course there there no one is perfect right there are obvious contradictions and hypocrisy in, in all of us right but i think if you're going to run a government you have to have some type of limiting principle right and i think stopping at well if you're infringing on people other people's rights then you know you're breaking the law i think that's a good line but once you start going into the the line of well i think this is immoral so you're not allowed to do it once you start getting into that territory, it becomes it becomes dicey as to where does it stop, right? At what point do you say, like, like let's say for example, there's a lot of Christian authoritarians who like would like to ban pornography. I think pornography is a pretty bad thing, but if you're getting into the the territory of, I, I don't think that's right for you to be doing that, but even though it doesn't hurt me in any way that you do that, I think it should be banned. Once you start getting that territory, where does it stop? I mean, do you just go all the way to the point to which you have a totally authoritarian society where only your beliefs are allowed and any expression of another, anyone else's beliefs are not? And you could say it's a slippery slope, but I think really if, if, if your principle is, you know, I like to ban things that I find immoral, 
why not ban everything that you find immoral? Why just stop at this or that? You know, so I, I think that's 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 the issue. I think if you start going down that path, you lose a free society, essentially, which some people don't believe in a free society. That's fine. But if you want to preserve a free society, I think you have to live in one where you people mutually understand and agree that even though we might have harsh criticisms of the things other people do, so long as they're not hurting us, we don't have the right to use the force of the state to ban it. Definitely. Uh, yeah, so so I, I agree with you in that there can be some libertarians who their only moral grounds for making a judgment about a particular act is whether or not it's infringing upon somebody else's rights. So so definitely there are multiple things that are immoral that don't infringe on other people's rights. For example, I was having a conversation with, with one of my classmates about this recently, and that is um, uh, the sexual revolution and, and uh, modern promiscuity and hook, hookup culture and all of that. So I, I find that deeply immoral. And I think there's very solid arguments as to why it's deeply immoral. Sex, it was initially meant to procreate. And even if you, obviously, we've, we've evolved and we do it for pleasure and that's totally fine, but it's much more than just a physical transaction. And when we're trying to lower it down to a physical transaction, we get these problems uh, such as rape and sexual assault and all of the things that come with it. I'm not saying that these things didn't exist before, but they've definitely increased in part because of this sort of uh, hookup culture. So so obviously that's an entirely different uh, conversation, but the point I'm trying to make here is that, yes, there are things that are deeply immoral, but for example, if you have uh, two, two consenting parties that want to engage in a one-night stand, for example, I, I would renounce that. I, I wouldn't think that's a good thing. I wouldn't do it myself. But if somebody else did it, I definitely don't think that the government should be able to to physically stop them. So so this comes down to the idea of the use of force. And this is a lot more abstract and, and a lot more fundamental in idea and philosophy. And that is uh, the, the debate of when the use of force is appropriate. And of course, the, the, the body that is administering this force is the government. And the idea of libertarian philosophy, and actually there's sort of a general consensus among many philosophers, and that is that the use of force is only appropriate in retaliation to the use of force. So I can use force on you if I'm using it to defend the force that you're using on me to infringe upon my rights. So that's when the government, and of course also individual citizens, so, that, so then you can think about the idea of the Second Amendment and, and the right to self-defense. So as long as my rights are being infringed, that's when the government can intervene. So that's the idea of the use of force, and that, that's how it, how it uh, plays a part in this political idea of, of uh, libertarian, uh, libertarian philosophy. Okay, so of course, we have been talking at length about libertarianism, and we keep referring to this concept of rights, and we keep talking about how it is the most fundamental idea in a free society. But we haven't yet addressed what rights actually are and where they come from. So a lot of people have different ideas about what rights are, what counts as a right, what doesn't count as a right. But what we're going to try and do today is try to explain where we believe rights come from and what at what what the line is for for a right and then something that's just a privilege. So I'd like to start by saying my idea of where rights come from, and and I'm going to get a bit abstract here. So. Uh, bear with me. So I think that the two most fundamental rights are the right to your life and the right to your mind. Now, I am not very religious, so I wouldn't necessarily say that these rights are, are God-given, but wherever you think they come from, I believe that they're inherent. And I believe that all other rights stem from these basic rights. So what do I mean when I say the right to your life 
and the right to your mind. So when I when I'm talking about the right to your mind, I'm talking about the right to to uh, produce things with your own mind, the right to keep those products that you produce with your own mind. So then obviously we'd we'd be talking about taxation as well when when the government is taking from what you have produced and also the right to freely express whatever thoughts or whatever feelings you may have within your mind. So then, of course, the idea of freedom of speech, which we see uh, in a, in, mentioned in a much more concrete way in many constitutions across the world, come up. And then you have the right to your life. So every human being, as long as they're alive, has a right to, to preserve their life. So if that means that they are be, their life is being threatened, then they may use means of self-defense to protect their life. So then the idea of the right to bear arms and the right to self-defense, I believe, also stems from this idea of the right to life. And of course, there's many other rights that I'm not talking about, but these are just a few examples. And I think that all other rights that we see in political constitutions and political documents stem from these uh, two main rights that I believe to be inherent. And we can talk a little bit about where we believe these uh, quote-unquote inherent rights come from. But first, Vince, I'd like to hear about what you think uh, rights are and where and where they come from in the sense, w- what fundamental idea governs uh, what is a right and what isn't a right. Right. So I, I agree with the, the, the principles of rights that America was founded off of, which is the view of natural rights, right? Locke talked about this. Jefferson talked about in Declaration of Independence. The, the initial the, the three natural rights that Locke laid out were life, liberty, and property. And, and to, to clarify to some people, no, he did not mean you have the right to be given property. He was saying that you have the right to pursue and create or buy your own property, right? I think that yeah. you have basically the right to, obviously, your, your life is the most important thing, right? But And I think you have the right to further your life, you know, do, do what you want with your life, create whatever you want, so long as it doesn't hurt anyone else's right to life, liberty or their property right so i think that a society should be governed an individualistic society should be governed off of the idea yet you know everyone has these three basic rights and like you said everything springs out of that right something like the second amendment springs out of the right to life liberty i would i would say that's probably the broadest one but i think liberty that that includes freedom of speech that includes the freedom to believe what you want say what you want you know do the things that you want you know engage in the the transactions or or buy the things or use the things that you want so long as they they don't hurt the other members of society right I think we should also clarify on what rights are not right because earlier i got into this I, i i talked a little bit about the slippery slope when you start legislating everything you believe to be moral. Well, I think that's also an issue with rights. I don't think you have the right to something that requires uh, the force of others or the help of others or the, the you know, it, that requires others to fulfill that right. I think you should be able to fulfill your your own rights, right? You can obviously fulfill your own right to life. You can protect your own right to life. Liberty, that's a liberty for you to, to do or buy or say whatever you want, right? Your right to gain property. You have You have the right to go out and, you know, do whatever you want to acquire property so long as it doesn't hurt others. But there are a lot of people who suggest that, for example, healthcare is a right or education should be, you know, it, it ingrained as a, as a hardcore right. Or um, let's say a job. I, I think the, the, the South African constitution says something about you have a right to employment. Um, <laughs> oddly enough, right? I don't, yeah. I don't see view these to be rights because they you, you require someone else to do something for you to gain that right. A job, right? If if you if you go to some business and you demand legally, I, I you are required to hire me. 
Well, that that business that you're violating that business's right to liberty. The, 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 that business owner has the right. Part of their right to liberty is their right to decide who who and who they don't want to hire, right? So if you go to someone and demand a job legally, you, you're infringing on another person's rights. And I think, like the the slippery slope of morality, I think if you're if you get into this discussion of any, we feel like the these, the so-called essentials for life, like the things you need to to do well in life, if those are all just handed to you. Like if you say you say you want to make healthcare right or education right, like like I said, where does it stop? Like why not just give everyone everything they need in life and and just let them like live live and just sit around, you know? So I I think you you do get into this slippery slope if you go in the other position of direction of rights. Whereas, well, it, I feel like you need this for life. Like I I feel like you need a college education to be successful in life. So hit so take it. There you go. Everyone gets one. You know I I feel like. You kind of you kind of getting in a a gray area when you go there, and I, that's why I I don't believe that we should view those things as rights for society because we essentially get into the territory of, well, anything that seems like it would better people in life, let's just make it a a, a government given right, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's not. I definitely agree with that, but um, when we're thinking about what is considered right and what isn't considered right, this is actually an interesting uh, conversation I had with someone recently. And that was whether the uh, food, shelter, and water are rights. So initially, I was actually saying, yeah, they are, because they relate to the idea of the right to life. And without these essentials, you wouldn't be able to survive. But um, the person I was talking to uh, really put it into perspective and made me think, well, these things are, at the end of the day, they're things that are scarce. Right. If we're talking about economics, we're saying that these things are limited, so they have a price on them. And essentially, um, somebody else needs to needs to extract these things uh, from where they come from. So that's why you should actually have to pay for these things. And if you do have to pay for these things, then they are no longer right. So what do you think about this? Do, do you think that food, shelter and water are rights? And if so, why or why not? Well, one of the things I talked about earlier was the right to property, right? And I, I clarified that's not the right to be given property. That's the right to yeah. pursue and get your own property. I would view food, water, and shelter as the same. I mean, shelter is property after all. I, I, I would view food, water, and shelter as the same thing. I mean, th- these these things are not free to produce. Like, it's not free. I mean, unless you go to a, a river, for instance, and like just take out that water, you know, food, water, shelter, they all take energy, they all take labor, they all take money in our modern society, right, to produce. So I don't think that, they, I mean, they're obviously not free. They're, they're, it's, it's not a, it's not a um, discussion if, if they are free or not. They're not free because they take energy of, of others to produce. Now, with that being said, like I, I also said earlier that, you know, there are some obvious contradictions and hypocrisy in all of us and, all, and what all of us believe. So I think that, for example, if someone is starving in the streets and they're legitimately about to die, right, and then they're they're on they're on they're on the brink of starvation, yeah, I would I would not have a problem with the government, you know, at, at least offering them something so that they don't die on the street, right? I'm not going to go out and be protesting that and saying you're you're violating my rights, right? But I don't think that as a general yeah. principle we should view something like food, water, shelter as rights, because also you get into the, the the territory of this: what quality of food, water, or shelter, right? Are, are you yeah. simply granted the quality to any type of food or any type of shelter? Like, like why, why stop at like a, a, a little tiny little shelter? Why not give everyone a mansion or whatever? Right. So I think when, when you get into the territory of things that have prices on them, things that have that take labor to make, 
I think it's really hard to view those things as rights. I think everyone should, we should do our best as a society to make sure everyone has those things, but I don't think they, they are rights. I don't think you're born with the right to, uh, you know, ha- have a house or, 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 or have all this food or wh- whatever you want. I think those things obviously, and this is not my opinion, this is an objective fact, right? Those things obviously require energy to produce and create. Yeah, definitely. So, so, so that leads us uh, quite nicely into the next thing that we wanted to talk about, and, and, and that was taxation. So, of course, a lot of the money that a government has, that a government spends, which, of course, is funded by taxpayers primarily, is spent on the welfare state to, to provide these things that we wouldn't consider as rights to people who have uh, less access to it than others. So, of course, firstly, we'd want to talk about the role of taxation, how much taxes there should be, whether there should be taxes at all, whether the idea that taxation is theft actually holds any real weight in in a society. Uh, But then we'll also get to what taxpayer money should be spent on. And that really justifies the the rate of tax that we might suggest. So I have talked about this uh, quite a few times before on my podcast but uh, my, my idea of a, a tax system is basically a two-bracket system. It's not quite flat because a flat tax is only uh, one bracket. But it's two brackets in the sense that you have a 10 to 15% tax. And yes, last time I talked about this, I said 15 to 20%. But uh, after thinking and looking at some other countries which have lower taxes and are doing well, I thought, you know, actually 10 to 15% is sufficient. So this bracket would be for the vast majority of people. And then there would be another bracket which pays no tax at all. And this would only be people who are living in severe poverty, who are earning a wage but isn't quite enough for them to, to completely fulfill their, their, uh, their basic needs. So in that case, you have a small, a small portion of, of the population who aren't paying uh, taxes at all. And I, th- I think that is fairly justified given the fact that they're struggling uh, to make a living. So that's my idea of taxation. Uh, I'll, I'll talk more about why I think this is a good system and, and why I think that uh, a progressive tax, on the other hand, would not be a good idea. But uh, Vince, what, what, what do you think about taxation? Do you, do you think taxation is necessary for, for any given society? And if you do, what kind of tax system do you think would be the most effective? Well, so this is interesting. So I, I, my answer used to be, Yes, taxation is theft, but it's needed, right? But I, I, I thought that okay, that's not a very good response, right? But what, what I've kind of narrowed it down to is, well, taxation is justified when those tax dollars go to the government to protect your rights. I, I think, exactly. yeah, that, that yeah. that's ju- that was that would not be considered theft. I think that's what's considered justified taxation. Now, when the government goes beyond that, when the government, you know, uses your tax dollars to do whatever right like stupid stuff then yeah i would consider that taxation to be theft i consider that to be immoral taxation um my ideal so i am in favor of the income tax i know some people are are not i I, i'm not sure we could fund everything with our society getting so big i'm not sure we could really fund our government without an income tax my my ideal bracket would be about like eight to twelve percent flat and then yeah flat tax well, I guess not technically flat. I'd also consider, I'd also do what you would do, which is if you're, you know, far below the poverty line, I would, I would make it you tax exempt. Right. But I would, I would pick a point around eight to 12% that I'd set the the tax rate there and everyone in society pays that beyond, you know, the poverty line. Um, I guess this, this is an appropriate time to also talk a little bit why about why I don't think the progressive tax is moral. Well, I think 
in a sense, the progressive tax is punishing you for something that you have the right to do, right? Because you have the right to go and make whatever, how much money you want. And if you're that good at what, what you do, or people, you know, demand your service that much, I think you should be able to make $500,000, a million dollars, billion dollars, right? And I don't think that the government should punish you for doing that. And that's what I really do believe the, the progressive tax is. And I think a lot of people on the left and the supporters of the progressive tax also agree that what you are doing is punishing people for acquiring large amounts of wealth. Now you can talk about why that's moral or not moral, but I don't think that's moral because, you know, you should have the right to acquire as much money as you want, so long as you're not doing it illegitimately. I mean, if you're if you're legitimately gaining the money that you want, I don't I don't I don't see what the problem is with that. Now, do I think you should use that large amount of wealth to help others on occasion? Well, of course I do. And I, and a lot of billionaires do do that. But I don't, you know, I don't think that the, it's the government's place to tell you, hey, you can't make that much money as long as you made that money legitimately. Definitely. Yeah. So, so I, I do, I do talk a lot about this uh, in some of my previous podcasts. And uh, I'd like to say that, uh, yes, those arguments are, are completely, are, are completely valid uh, in terms of when we're talking philosophically and we're talking about uh, the moral framework uh, on which we base our tax system. Uh, of course, there is also the issue of pragmatism, and definitely in this case, um, what is moral is also pragmatic. I, I think that that is quite often the case, but definitely in this case, because there there are all kinds of arguments as to why a progressive tax system is is not very efficient. Now, you may make make the argument that okay, empirically, uh, the most successful countries are using a progressive tax. Blah 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 blah. Whatever. But I think there are some pretty solid arguments economically as to why a progressive tax system causes, first of all, uh, a loss of the trickle-down effect, uh, a loss of incentive, and and a few other of these concepts. But since that isn't the focus of this podcast, I won't really get into that. If you want to hear me make uh, more economic or pragmatic arguments for why I believe the progressive tax is not only immoral, but also not effective in a society, I uh, definitely recommend you to check out a video that I will link in this description and also a previous uh, taxation debate that I did, uh, I think, last year. So anyway, uh, getting back to this idea, uh, getting back to the moral framework uh, on which we base our tax system, the reason I believe that uh, a 10 to 15% or even, like you said, an 8 to 12% tax would be sufficient is that this, like you said, this money should only be spent on preserving man's rights. And we discuss what these rights are uh, and, and how the government uh, can use force in order to ensure that these rights are not infringed upon. I don't think the government requires anything more than an income tax of that amount. And if they do require more than that, they're definitely not going to be spending it on, on preserving man's rights. In fact, I'm not exactly sure what the statistic is, but I'm quite sure that the majority of the U.S. Uh, taxpayer money that the government has and the majority of uh, the U.S. government spending is spent on the welfare state. And as we said, these are entitlements uh, that, that you know, you're, you're not entitled to. What I mean is that these are things that, you, uh, these are handouts, essentially. Uh, they, they aren't rights. So, for example, the government giving you free healthcare, the government giving you free food, the government giving you uh, free shelter, all of these things are, are not what we would consider as part of of the rights that that the government is trying to preserve. So so yeah, so th that's the idea of taxation. Why we believe that a progressive 
uh, tax system isn't very effective and why we think a flat tax would be sufficient for the government to fulfill its most basic purpose. So moving on, since we have talked a bit about taxation, we can also get into this discussion about the government's involvement in the economy. Now, of course, when you're talking about economy, it's very easy to get into an esoteric discussion about economic policies, economic concepts, and pragmatism and all of that. But I definitely think that a person's economic theory says a lot about their their moral framework or their moral values, because uh, a lot of the of the fundamental uh, the fundamental economic ideologies like capitalism, socialism, have a very strong moral um, or very strong moral va- values that they're really basing this economic system on and the arguments that they make for these systems are not only based on pragmatic arguments but also moral arguments. So with that said, when is it appropriate for the government to intervene in an economy if it ever is? So if you've studied economics, I'm sure you've talked a lot about these kinds of questions in class and uh, you've looked at it from an economic standpoint. But since today we're, we're not trying to get into an esoteric discussion, uh, let, let's let's stick to 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 these uh, ideas that we've laid laid out the ideas of rights and and uh, how the government can intervene in an economy when it is needed without infringing upon man's rights or whether if you think that um, any intervention in in the economy by the government is an infr- infringement upon man's rights. Okay, so I've, my general economic principle theory would be. It, it is overreaching for the government to try to regulate or overstep or stop any, you know, peaceful, voluntary transaction between two parties. So yep. th- this this is this goes a lot more to what you buy and sell. This is, for example, employment. I'm against the minimum wage. Um, a, a lot of, you know, Austrian economists and all these people are because I believe that you should be able to take a job for whatever salary you negotiate with your employer. If you're willing to take a job below minimum wage, above, well, you can take a job for whatever wage your employer agrees to, right? I think that that, that that's fair. I think, I mean, there's, there's a lot of other things. Like, for example, there's a lot of, in the United States, there's a lot of employee, uh, employer relation regulations. Like, like you can only work this many hours a week and then it becomes overtime or, you know, things things like that. I don't think the government it's, it's a government's place to regulate any of that because again if you're consenting to that if you if you if you want to take this job if you want to work overtime if you want to do whatever right I don't think the government should have the right to infringe upon that at all I don't think the government should be able to infringe on for example um, two companies if they want to do a merger or if they want to you know interact in this way or that way I don't think that should be illegal I don't think the government should be able to regulate that now. There are where would I say that in some places it is appropriate for the government to intervene in the economy? Well, I would say for one, I would say uh, international trade, like trade between other countries. I think that there is a place for the government to intervene there because in a lot of cases you have things like, for example, look in the case of China, you have a lot of national security issues at risk now because you have China like through our trade, they steal our economy. You have like stockbrokers that go over there to China to prevent stock fraud, you know, break what would be considered U.S. law and international law. So I think that the the our government should have the ability to decide which countries we trade with, if it's a safe country to trade with. For example, if we're like if we're at, at war or we consider a country to be a foreign adversary, like, I, I don't know, I wouldn't say that it, back in the Cold War, for instance. Yeah, I would say the government, it is fine for the government to say, hey, you can't go do business with the Soviet Union. Like, I, I think that's fair. Like, I think the government does have the right to sort of regulate international trade. 
see some of the, Oh, I think that the government, I, I, I'm fine. This is one issue. This is one thing that I am okay with, which is the, the government having some type of central currency, like for example, the U S dollar. Um, I, I'm a, I'm in favor of the gold standard, but I think there's sort of this like total libertarian view that the government shouldn't make currency at all. And, and people should just make con- competing currencies and have to um, basically everyone sort of, compete to make to decide who the best currency is i'm totally fine with the with our government having a central currency i don't necessarily think that infringes on anyone's rights so long as you reserve the rights for other people to use like alternate currencies like bitcoin for instance i think that that's totally fine to have a government have central currency but above that yeah i don't i'm for example i'm not a fan of corporate subsidies or corporate bailouts right because i i don't i think that Part of allowing a free society and allowing free transactions also means that you have to face the consequences for those transactions, right? Because if you are in a position where you're basically allowing people to make the decision they want, well, I'm gonna say that again. Part of a free society, <laughs> part of a free society and a free economy means that you have to face the consequences for your own decisions and your own transactions. There, there's a huge issue we have in our economy, which is that it's sort of mixed, where it's a free economy, but at the same time, it's it's heavily subsidized. And so here's what you get. Like you got this in the 2008 financial crisis, for instance. You have companies that know that the government will bail them out or subsidize them whenever they make a mistake. And so what do they do? They end up taking really large, ridiculous, crazy risks, right? Because they know the government's going to come bail them out at, in the end of it. So what they end up yeah. doing is that they, t- they do some really risky investment or, or they give out subprime mortgages, for instance. It just just to see, hey, hopefully it'll make money. But if not, the government will bail us out, and that's what happened. The government bailed us out. So I, I'm I'm against those as well. I I think, first of all, like like we said earlier, we don't ha- you don't have the right to things like education, shelter, water. Well, I don't think your company has a right to get bailed out by the government either, right? Because that that is an entitlement that I don't believe is is justified. We're not really for entitlements. So yeah, that that'd be my general economic theory, though. You know, don't infringe on people's rights to have general transactions that are voluntary and safe and legitimate with other people yeah yeah i think i think that's a pretty good good way to put it especially if, if you're not getting into the specific jargon of of uh, economic terminology um so so y- your idea about about uh, corporate bailouts i definitely agree and i think this is something important making the distinction between free market capitalism and crony capitalism and how crony capitalism is actually quite anti-competition and favors large corporations over small businesses. And any free market e- economist isn't for this. So I, I could go on in, into more detail about, about what crony capitalism really is. But since that's not the focus of, of the podcast, I, I just wanted to uh, play devil's advocate on, on something that you said uh, at the start of, of your response there. Um, so so, so you, you, you had said something uh, you, you don't believe there should be a minimum wage, and you don't believe that the government should regulate how how two consenting parties end up uh, d- dealing with their with their transaction. For example, if you have somebody who is seeking employment and they agree to getting employment from a particular company, but they're not really giving them the package that they want, but they still end up taking it. So in that case, uh, a lot of people, uh, probably socialists, but also some some more um, you know more moderate people in terms of that their idea on what the economy should be like, they may make the argument that the party, the the person who is seeking employment that agrees to these terms of working and that agrees to the salary and, and the package that they're being pr- provided by a particular company is only doing it because we have created this uh, sort of capitalist society where they absolutely have to work in order to, to preserve themselves 
And because of that, they are taking a package that they actually really don't like and they wouldn't want to do. And they don't see it as something that 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 they'll enjoy, but also they don't see it as something that they that they really can do. But they're but they're doing it only because they have that basic survival instinct. So, of course, I think there's a few flaws in that argument. But but just to play devil's advocate here, uh, what would your what would your response be to to that argument against this idea of a, a free market economy? Well, first of all, the idea of basically what they would consider to be a living wage, like I think you should start here or there. It's it's totally subjective. Like like the argument with, for example, the people who make a fifteen dollar minimum wage, right wingers often respond to that, like say by saying, why not make the minimum wage forty five dollars or a hundred dollars an hour or thousand dollars an hour, right? Because <laughs> the argue the, the argue you like it's hard to get into this this area of just total subjectivity as to. Well, if you think, well, you should have to take a job for a living wage and you should be able to, you know, live comfortably off that wage. Well, what does living comfortably mean? Right. Like, why why not? As I got into the, the area earlier, there's, there's a lot of slippery slopes with any viewpoint that doesn't sort of just uphold natural rights. Right. Because why not? Why stop at? Why does a minimum wage have to be this? Why can't you just raise it to there or there to there? Right. I think that that, that essentially is the flaw. So yeah, like like where where does it stop? Where do you consider it to be a living wage, right? Um, and I, and I think in a lot of cases, a lot of employ, a lot of the actual people that work these jobs, of course they'd like a higher wage. Everyone likes a higher higher wage. But I think in a lot of cases, the people that actually work these jobs are content. Maybe maybe not necessarily happy. I think all of us want to make more money, but content with the wage they have. And also, I saw a great lecture by Milton Friedman. Was, I think it's back from like the seventies or eighties, right? But what he essentially says is he was talking about, you know, the black poverty. And he was saying that the most anti-black law on the books is the minimum wage because what he was talking about was a lot of people in poverty, you know, they they need on-the-job training and they, they need to be able to acquire the skills to become, you know, a, a profitable worker, a worker that people would, that companies would seek off of for a higher wage. And what he suggested was that if you were able to go below the minimum wage and you trained, if you, if companies were allowed to pay people below minimum wage, what they would do is they would train workers to become more profitable and be worth a higher wage, right? Like on the job training, right? If you don't have any skills, it's hard, especially in places where the minimum wage is really high. If you don't have any skills and you're not that talented of a worker, companies will not hire you because you're not worth it. You're not worth $15 an hour, you know, but if you're, if you, you might, you might be worth, for example, $4 an hour and we can train you to be worth $15 an hour. But if, if you're not allowed to able to take that entry level job, it just, it, it, you cannot, it, it doesn't happen. You know, you, you can't, if you, you can't take that entry level job, then you're just never going to find a job. So I, I think that that's sort of the pragmatic argument also against this, which is that the people who the minimum wage laws actually do affect, which is like, you know, low skill workers or people without a, that much of an education, being able to abolish the minimum wage and actually take a, a job for below that allows you to acquire the skills you need, get, allows you to get a higher paying job someday. Whereas if the jobs all start at high paying levels, guess what? If you're not worth that wage, then you're just never going to get hired and you're never going to find a job. So I, I think... The minimum, abolishing the minimum wages actually helps poor people a lot more than hurts them. Yeah, definitely. I think that was a pretty good uh, way of putting that argument. So anyway, there's definitely a lot more things that I think we can talk about and that I would love to talk about in terms of, of libertarianism, the role of government, uh, even economics, the libertarian economics, um, the, the role of government in, in intervening or not intervening in the economy. 
but I think we're, we're running out of time here, so we'll save all of that for uh, another podcast. So anyway, that'll do it for us today at the Sign of the Dollar. Thank you for listening.